Jonah chapter 3 this morning. In your Bible to read the Word of God, then we'll pray and see what God has here for us in His Word today. Jonah chapter 3, begin reading at verse number 1. Jonah chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For, the, for word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time of spending uh, together in your word. Quiet our hearts, remove distractions, remove hindrances. I pray thy Holy Spirit to take full control of this preacher and this service and these people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. J. Allen Blair tells a story about what once happened on the USS North Carolina. Now, don't get this USS North Carolina confused with the battleship North Carolina, which is currently in Wilmington, which you can go and visit as a museum now. This is the USS North Carolina, which was launched on the 7th of September, 1820. So two different ships we're talking about. I want to give the story to you in his words. He says the USS North Carolina lay in the harbor of New York. And I did some research. This was later on in the ship's life. He said that uh, she lay in the harbor of New York. Her complement was about a thousand men. And among these were four Christians who discovered their spiritual kinship and mutual concern for the unsaved on board the ship. With burdened hearts, they yielded themselves to Christ's control and agreed to meet together for prayer. They obtained permission to use a small room in a little uh, used part of the ship far below the waterline, and they gathered one evening with great expectation. They were in dead earnest. They wanted God's best. There were only four of them, but they were a united bond representing three denominations. There was an Episcopalian, a Presbyterian, and a Baptist. The story says that they knelt in the dim light of a tiny lamp, agonizing before God, praying for the great host of sailors on board that needed Christ. Suddenly, the Spirit of God filled their hearts with such a joy of salvation, they burst into song. Well, that strange, sweet sound was heard by rough, hearty sailors, and it created a great astonishment among them. And so ungodly shipmates came running to the room to see what was happening. Where this music was coming from. 
And their first thought was this. They were going to mock and ridicule these foolish Christians that had gathered. But you know what? The power of God had already been released through intercessory prayer. He says, and I quote, the sight ripped the men. And in a manner of moments, their derisive laughter was changed to the cry of penitent sinners. Rough fellows, giant in stature, and many of them giants in sin, were literally smitten down and knelt humbly like little children beside the four. God was at work because four believing saints who were willing to pay the price felt that it was not unreasonable to expect God to captivate the hearts of unbelieving men. For many, it would have been unreasonable, but not for these trusting believers. He says a mighty work of grace began in the depths of that great ship. Night after night, prayer meetings were held and conversions took place. With urgency, word was sent ashore for help and godly ministers came to assist. The battleship North Carolina became a veritable house of God. Now, at this time in the ship's life, this is what was very interesting. The ship was a receiving ship. In other words, men were constantly being drafted from this ship to other ships. And so the converts of this great revival were thus scattered throughout the Navy. He said, be sure revival convert is a burning brand for God, knowing full well the power of the gospel. And so the holy fire spread rapidly from ship to ship. And wherever they went, they started a prayer meeting and became a soul winning band. Thus, ship after ship left the harbor of New York for foreign seas, each vessel carrying with it a band of rejoicing converts. And the fire of God was born to the ends of the earth. And beloved, all of this started with four Christians on board the USS North Carolina who were willing to pay the price for revival. Think about something for a moment. How much does revival cost? How much does revival cost? Now, I know some might pull out their budget and say, well, preacher, it's a line item on our budget. You can look right there. It says revival. There's a figure. We know what we spent this year. Listen, that's not what revival costs. That's what we budget to pay a revival preacher or preachers to have a revival meeting. But listen, revival meetings does not always equal revival. Now, I praise God that I believe we saw a touch of revival in our midst this past week. And I pray it will continue to flourish and to grow and be used in a mighty way. But what does it cost to have revival? What is the true cost? If we had to narrow it down to one word, I think the cost is the cost of obedience. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience. I believe Charles Finney was right when he wrote and said, Revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. A new beginning of obedience to God. Now, we have Christians today who are not obedient. In all honesty, we in Christendom are bemoaning the fact that there is no prayer in school when we really ought to be bemoaning the fact that there's not enough prayer in the Christian's house and the church house. Think about that for a moment. How can we ever expect to have a nationwide revival and awakening until Christians get serious with God and become obedient? Honestly. Now, thinking about Jonah, thinking about the Ninevites, thinking about this story we've been studying for some time now. Listen to what George Sweeting wrote. He said the greatest obstacle, the greatest obstacle to the conversion of Nineveh 
was not to be found in Nineveh. It was not the sin and corruption of the Ninevites, although those were great. It was not the graph-ridden police force of corrupt politicians. It was not the false cults and religions. The biggest obstacle to the salvation of Nineveh was found in the heart of a pious, prejudiced man named Jonah. He said there was no deceitfulness in all of Nineveh like the deceitfulness in Jonah's heart. Jonah was the key to the salvation of Nineveh. And listen, he said this. God's people are the key to the spiritual climate of our nation and world. Why is America like it is today? Well, one of the reasons is because Christians have ceased to really live like Christians. If we're honest, beloved, we really don't want revival. We're satisfied with the status quo. We're satisfied with business as usual. Don't go messing with things. Don't go doing anything that causes any discomfort. And may I say, may God help us. I believe in this third chapter of Jonah, we have the elements that are needed to see true revival. The elements needed to see true revival. Now, what happened here, in all honesty, would be enough to tempt Billy Graham to covet Now, think about it. You've seen the great crusades that Billy Graham has had through the years, and you saw great stadiums filled with people and thousands of people coming to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, this great city was somewhere between one to two million people. And these people, this great city of Nineveh, they turned from their wickedness to God. And in case you're wondering, yes, beloved, it was a true turning. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said about Nineveh. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, the Bible says, but he answered and said it to them, and even an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas or Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now listen to verse 41 of Matthew 12. The men of Nineveh. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here, of course, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, very quickly, five elements needed for revival from this passage. And as I give them to you, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I willing to pay the price? For revival. Am I willing to pay the price for revival? First of all, we need the preaching of God's word. Notice verse four of chapter three here in Jonah. It says, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. When Jonah entered into Nineveh, he did not play around. He didn't spend time sightseeing and being a tourist. He preached and he preached a strong message of judgment. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, we don't know if that's all the words that he spoke or just a summary of his message. But it it was at least the theme of his message. Judgment is coming. Now, listen, if we're going to have true revival, we must hear the word of the Lord. It is to be preached, it is to be read, proclaimed, taught, expounded, studied. Every message, listen, every message from this pulpit is to be grounded in the word of God. 
It cannot properly even be called a sermon if it's not teaching and preaching the word of God. We're not here to hear man's words. We're not here to hear man's philosophies. We're not here this morning just to be entertained and tickled and so forth. We're here together to hear from God. It is my desire each time I stand in this pulpit, and I trust every preacher that we have when they come, it's my desire, hopefully their desire, that what they desire is that you hear God's word. And I point you to God's word. And and beloved, not just the popular passages, not just the pleasant words. We're to preach the whole counsel of God. We're to preach heaven and hell. We're to preach love and wrath. We're to preach mercy and judgment. The whole counsel of God. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you preach God's word? You say, well, preacher, I I don't ever get up in the pulpit and preach. I can't even teach. Listen, do you preach God's word? What do you mean, preacher? Do you preach God's word with your life? Do you preach God's word with your actions? Do you preach God's word with your words? In other words, does your life line up with this book? Do you preach God's word? We're going to have revival. We need the preaching of God's word. But secondly, we also need to believe God's word. I want you to notice what it says in verse five. We just read that he's preaching this message of judgment in verse four. Verse five says, so the people of Nineveh believe God. We need to believe God's word. Now, notice what it does not say. It does not say the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. That's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say they believe Jonah. It says the people of Nineveh believe God. Now, Jonah was the one walking through the city, crying out this message of judgment. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But it says they believe God. Why? Because Jonah was not there on his own mission. He was there on God's mission. His message was not his own. It was God's. Look again at verses one and two. The word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time saying, watch verse two, arise, go into Nineveh, that great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, yes, the people believed Jonah, but ultimately they believed God. They knew the message that Jonah preached really was from God. They believed the message of judgment. Now, let me ask you something, beloved. Do you really believe the Bible? Do you really believe God's word? Do you really believe it? Now, don't just nod your head mindlessly and say, oh, amen, preacher, I believe. Think about it for a moment. Do you really believe this book? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that God took a man named Jonah and told him to go and preach? And Jonah says, I'm going the opposite way. And God's. Puts him on a ship and he gets thrown overboard and God prepares a great fish and swallows him. He's in there all that time. Then he's vomited up on the land and he goes walking in a city between one to two million people. And he cries out a mess of judgment and the whole city from the king down turns in repentance and turns to God. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe it? Do you believe the word of God? Now, if you do, why do you have such a hard time thinking and believing that God can use your life? So many people, you know, I I just can't. Listen, if God can do this and he did and God can do everything or the fact that we're here today, the world which we created, spoke into existence. 
If God is truly who he says he is, and he is, and if God's word is true, and it is, and God can send a man like Jonah to a city named Nineveh and see a great revival, then, beloved, he can use your life to bring honor and glory to himself. Remember, the story is all about God. It's not about Jonah. It's not about the fish. It's not about the Ninevites. The story is all about the grace of our awesome God. God is the hero of this story. God worked in Jonah's life. God worked in the people of Nineveh. And God wants to work in your life. And it begins with salvation. Are you born again today? Have you turned from your sin to Christ? Have you realized that you're a sinner, you're lost, you're undone? You cannot save yourself. But Jesus Christ died to save you, shed his blood to save you, arose for you, lives for you, and wants you to have eternal life. Will you today repent and turn from your sin if you've not already come trusting him as Lord and Savior? It starts there. But then listen, Christian, God wants to use your life for his glory. You know, our mission here at Red Hill is what? Glorify God. Grow more like Jesus. Go with the gospel. He used Jonah and he wants to use you. Now, some are thinking, well, I've messed up, preacher. I've messed up. You just don't know. Listen, Jonah messed up. I mean, he ran in the opposite direction. God had to bring him to the depths of the sea in a vicious belly to bring him to his senses and repentance. You've messed up. Yeah. Jonah knows about that. Maybe you say, well, my life is scarred, preacher. You just don't know the things I've gone through, the things I've experienced, things I've done. My life is scarred and I know God cannot use me. Well, I want you to hear what David Jeremiah said about Jonah. He says, in every documented case of a person having been swallowed by a large fish. Anybody like that here today? I didn't think so. But in every documented case of a person being swallowed by a large fish, the gastric juices from the stomach of that fish completely change the outward appearance of that person's skin. And and as a bonus, it also removed all the hair from that person's body. Now think about that for a moment. He says, when Jonah came to Nineveh to preach judgment into the city, he must have been a sight to behold. Most of the Jews and the Ninevites were dark-skinned peoples, and baldness was almost unheard of. And here was Jonah coming in, probably with no hair, and his skin a blotchy yellow and white. Not a pretty sight. And he comes in crying, yet 40 days and God's going to overthrow Nineveh. Can you not see this in your mind's eye? Here comes a bald, bleached Jonah crying out judgment. But here's the exciting thing. It says that instead of laughing, instead of mocking, instead of persecuting, instead of ridiculing, it says the people believed God. Is your life scarred today? You believe God can't use you? Listen, give yourself to God. If we're going to have revival, we need the preaching of the word of God. We need to believe the word of God. Thirdly, we need to humble ourselves before God. Look at verse 5. It says there, they believed God. Notice the next part. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came into the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the kings and his nobles, saying, Watch this. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth. I want you to notice they humbled themselves before God. 
They stopped eating and drinking anything, not just the common people, from the very king himself down to the animals. Don't taste anything. Don't drink anything. Don't eat anything. And it says they covered themselves in sackcloth. It's interesting. Verse 8 says they even covered the animals with sackcloth. Now, what is this sackcloth all about? What does that mean? Well, one scholar helps us. The sackcloth mentioned in the Bible is often compared to today's burlap. Now, we often think sackcloth and burlap, but he says they're not the same. He said ancient sackcloth was a coarse fabric woven from goats or camel's hair. The wearing of sackcloth garment, especially close to the skin, was an outward symbol of mourning and grief. And the discomfort of that itchy, coarse hair was a symbol of the discomfort of the soul. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. The king himself put aside his robe, put on this itchy sackcloth, sat in ashes, stopped eating, stopped drinking, mourning, crying out to God. Confronted with their sin, the Ninevites humbled themselves before God. I want you to hear something. As God's people, we are way too comfortable with sin. We need to recognize afresh and anew the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the seriousness of it. We need to see it as the evil that it is. We need to stop making excuses. We need to stop cuddling it. We need to stop playing around with it and call it what it is and deal with it with what it is. It is sin. Nobody in their right mind here today would play around with and cuddle a poisonous snake. I don't think if you do, don't do it here around me. Y'all ever been over to Dan Nicholas Park? They have a building there that's full of snakes. You go in there and you see all these snakes, most of them from our uh, part of the country. You can see all these venomous snakes. A lot of them are poisonous. Listen, I went in there recently. I don't even like looking at the things behind the glass, you know, but it's quite a sight to see. Now. We wouldn't play around and cuddle with those snakes, yet we do that with sin. And yet sin is far more serious, friend. The old evangelist Billy Sunday was right. He said one reason sin flourishes is because it's treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. Think about that for a moment. When the Ninevites were confronted with their sinfulness and their doom and their judgment, when they saw themselves before a holy, righteous, all-powerful God, they understood they were not okay. They understood they were in trouble. They were in desperate times. They were desperate. Are we? Do we really realize just how desperate we are? Do we really recognize just how much we need God? We're going to have revival. We need the preaching of the word of God. We need to believe the word of God. And we need to humble ourselves before God. And then fourthly, we need to pray to our God. Next part of verse eight says this. It says they cry mightily unto God. They cried mightily unto God. Stephen Alford was right when he said, yes, there is only one thing that will save us in this hour of desperation. And that is prayer. Prayer. Are you desperate enough to really pray? I asked you a moment ago if you really believed the word of God. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you really prayed? You really prayed. I don't mean just, you know, mouthing off some memorized formula, something trite that you have. I mean, you really cried out to God. 
You've come before him broken and desperate, passionately crying out to him. You can rest assured the prayers offered by the Ninevites, they were not some trite little memorized formulas. They cried mightily to God. They cried out to him and prayer and revival go hand in hand. They fasted. They prayed these Ninevites. If we're going to have revival, we need the preaching of the word of God. We need to believe the word of God. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to pray to our God. And fifth, we need to turn away from our sin. Notice verse eight again. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn. Watch this. Let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violent that is in their hands. Notice we need to deal as the Ninevites with specific sins. Let everyone turn from his sin. Now, true repentance, true turning from sin is a change of mind, which leads to a change of lifestyle and behavior. I want you to jot this reference down and chew on it for a while. It came to my attention as we were having our, our day of prayer the other Saturday. And I gave out a booklet there. And if you came and you went through that booklet, you were certainly challenged. Uh, if you're anything like what I experienced going through, it was a powerful thing to be confronted with so many questions about my Christian life. But this verse popped out at me. I think it's from that booklet last week. Proverbs 28, 13. Jot this down and listen to this verse. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let me read it again. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso, whoever confesseth and forsaketh their sin, they shall have mercy. Now, let me ask you, what are you doing with your sin? Are you seeking to cover it? We read about this morning in Sunday school, didn't we? David, he sins with Bathsheba and he seeks to cover his sin and he tries every means possible to make it look like that he didn't do what he really did. And God had to bring him to the very point where Nathan, the prophet says, thou art the man and he repents. But the consequences are there and the consequences are real. What do you do with your sin? You try to cover it. You try to conceal it. Listen, you're not going to prosper that way. You need to confess it. You need to forsake it. And seek God's mercy. First John 1 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must turn from our sin. Now, notice what God did in verse 10. God saw their works. They turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that which he had said he would do unto them. And he did it not. In other words, they repented and God relented. God extended his grace and mercy to them. Let me ask you a question, friend. Do you need revival? Do you need revival? Personally, do you need revival? Do you really want revival? We need the preaching of the word of God. We need to believe the word of God. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to cry out to God in prayer. We need to turn from all sin in our lives. Will you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to work in your life today? Will you allow to shine his light upon your life and in your heart and show you anything that's not right, Christian? This church needs revival. The church in America needs revival. We need revival. Old Vance Havner once told a story about two Indians. 
He said two Indians were watching a lighthouse go up. And of course, you can imagine what a sight there was to behold. And there came up the day they were going to have the big grand opening of this lighthouse. And the lighthouse was all set up with the lights and the bell and the horn. But here's what happened. The day it was due to open, Vance Hadner said the worst fog of all fogs rolled in. Well, the Indians that went, one Indian said to the other, these words, light chime, bell ring, horn blow, but fog come in just the same. <laughs> and here's what Vance Havner said. He said, we've never had more light shining and bells ringing and horns blowing in the church than we have today. And we've never had more fog. Listen, beloved, it's time we put away our bells and our whistles and our shiny trinkets and toys and things we love in the church today and get back to prayer and preaching and humility before our awesome God. Do you really want revival? Are you willing to pay the price for revival? Will you be like those four on the USS North Carolina so long ago who believed that God would work in the hearts and lives of lost men? And they cried out to God and God honored them. Will you be like Jonah walking in with a scarred life, crying out that people would turn to God? And they did. Will you humble yourself today and cry out to our awesome God? Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Work in our hearts. Work in this invitation, I pray. If someone's lost today, I pray they'll come in repentance and faith. For the believers today, I pray if you put your finger on anything in their lives, they would come and forsake it and leave it and confess it and be done with it. Lord, we know your word is clear. If we cover our sins, we shall not prosper. We've seen it time and time again in your word. We see it around us, see it in our own lives. Lord, help us to forsake our sin. Cry out to you and experience true revival. We pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen.